0: My name's Ken. Uh, I'm giving us a sermon tonight. If you haven't caught on yet, from Cactus Dan, we are doing a series called Meals with Jesus. It takes us through different parts of Luke, uh, looking at some of the different meals that occur uh, through Luke, um, and how Jesus, I guess, does his ministry and teaches us through the different meals. Uh, you see, there, there's this three ways in which the New Testament completes the sentence, The Son of Man came. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. And thirdly, the Son of Man came, or has come, eating and drinking. And we see that in Luke 7. You see, the first two statements are statements of purpose, why Jesus came. He came to serve, to give his life as a ransom for many, to seek and save the lost. And the third is a statement of method. How did Jesus come? He came eating and drinking. Uh, There's a sermon outline in the Connect card if you want to follow along. Um, Let me pray for us as we get into God's Word together. Uh, Let's pray. Uh, Dear Heavenly Father Lord, uh, we thank you for uh, your many blessings for this day that you bring us. Uh, Lord, may you help me to preach your Word clearly and faithfully uh, today. Uh, Lord, may your Spirit open up uh, all of our hearts to receive your Word and to change our lives. for Your glory, Lord. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. So, meals are important. Uh, A meal not only provides the essential energy to survive, uh, they can also bring people together, can't they? Uh, They allow us to be open and to be intimate with each other. So a meal can express so much more than just the physical nourishment we we receive. Uh, One such meal for me was last year. Uh, when Jermaine, my wife, and I went on an anniversary dinner date. I was at some fancy restaurant in the city, of course. Uh, And on their website for this restaurant, um, they've got a definition of dinner. And here it is. Dinner, it's a noun. The main meal of the day, taken either around midday or evening, it's a formal evening meal maybe, typically one in honour of a person or event. That's what they want you to think about their meals there. You see, the setting was amazing. Uh, We were overlooking the city uh, from the Crown Promenade. The food was great. Well I think we overordered and ate way too much in the end. Uh, but most important was what this meal symbolised. It's a celebration of our marriage together. It was a joyous occasion, a cause for us to celebrate, to feast together, uh, primarily because of the company and the significance of what this date represented, not because of the food or the setting that we were in. And of course, our, our meals were really important in Luke's time too. I uh, like the website definition. Jewish meals were also a formal affair. They were taken either midday or evening. And in Luke 14, in our passage tonight, uh, Jesus is attending to the house of a prominent Pharisee. It's a gathering on the Sabbath. It's probably a big luncheon feast after they've just attended their local synagogue earlier in the morning. Uh, the DPC for us, um, might, the example for us, might be that if we went to someone's house for dinner uh, after church tonight. Uh, you can see I've got two main parts to my sermon. Are two main parts. You see, it's all about Jesus' upside-down kingdom. It's all about what Jesus' kingdom is like. And it's upside-down because it's not really what the Pharisees envisage this kingdom to be like. And we see, firstly, what Jesus' upside-down kingdom is like, and secondly, who Jesus' upside-down kingdom is for. And we see from verse 1 that the Pharisees invited Jesus to this meal. They invited him to watch him, to catch him out. It's a trap, hashtag Admiral Akbar. In verse 2, he's a man they prepared earlier. You see, they've planted this man at the meal. Uh, the previous NIV or the ESV says he had dropsy. is like a swelling of the body if, you, if you're medically inclined. And uh, maybe you might say he was edematous. He had fluid overload. You see, this man was physically and chronically very unwell. And to the Jews, he'd be seen as very unclean too. Uh, he'd be labelled, labelled as sick because he was likely a sexual sinner Totally unclean physically, but socially and spiritually unclean too. You see, it was totally inappropriate for this man to be at the home of the prominent Pharisee, let alone on the Sabbath day. But the Pharisees planted this sick man here for a reason. You see, they've seen Jesus heal people on the Sabbath before. We see that earlier in Luke, and, and it was illegal to do so by their laws. You were restricted, you weren't allowed to do any work on the Sabbath, and you definitely wanted to stay away from anything that was unclean too. Uh, furthermore, this unclean man was chronically unwell. He wasn't dying then and then, so you weren't allowed to heal anyone unless they were dying imminently. And so the Pharisees brought this man in specifically to trap Jesus. And that's why they invited Jesus to their meal too. But we see instead that Jesus turns the tables back on them. In verse three, he asked them this rhetorical question of Pharisaical law. He says, he kind of asked, can I heal this man on the Sabbath? I see the Pharisees haven't really said anything yet, but But they're watching Jesus very closely, aren't they? And they they totally know what Jesus... uh, And Jesus totally knows what they're all up to. Uh, So Jesus questions them, but they don't have any reply. And so so Jesus replies. Instead, he heals the man. And in verse 4, Jesus asks them, well, if one of you has a child or an ox that falls into a well on the Sabbath day, will you not immediately pull it out? But they've got nothing to say, do they? You see, Jesus challenges the Pharisees, their self-righteous, their hypocritical hearts, and he's seeking to humble the Pharisees' pride in keeping all their rules. He, his questions here shows us that the Pharisees kind of break all of their own rules, depending on their own circumstances, depending on what suits them. You see, if it was their own son, their own ox, then the Pharisees would have done something about it. I mean, you wouldn't let your baby drown in the bathtub, or even your house burn to the ground on the Sabbath day. And so you wouldn't let your oxen drown in a well, but, but you'd let this man with dropsy drown in his own bodily fluids. You see, Jesus knows that the Pharisees are really only compassionate about themselves, about their family, their property. And he shows us here that his kingdom is much broader and that Christ is compassionate and loving to all people. And so instead of being questioned, Jesus is the one questioning them. He turns the tables back on them. He strips away the pride of the the self-righteous Pharisees, he foils their plans to track him. And he also begins to teach us a lesson too. It's a lesson about his upside-down kingdom. It's a Jesus masterclass. He lays on the table the issues of our own selfishness and he contrasts this to his gracious and merciful compassion to those in need. So what is Jesus' kingdom like? Well, firstly, Jesus' kingdom, Jesus' upside-down kingdom, is one where he is compassionate, where he loves all people, even those who might look unclean, sinful or dirty. And what do we love? What do you love? Who do you show compassion to? Uh, Psalm 103, verse 8, says that the Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in love. Uh, From verse 8, Jesus then goes on to show us that his kingdom is also a humble kingdom. A humble kingdom. You see, back in Jesus' day, these meals are all about position and status. Uh, so if you were a distinguished scribe or a lawyer, you'd sit right next to the host. Uh, but if you were just a run-of-the-mill blue-collar worker, you'd sit a bit further away from the host, maybe not even invited to this meal. Uh, but Jesus says, don't think about who you are or how high your status is. You've got it all wrong. This world we live in has got it all wrong. You see, in God's upside-down kingdom, you need to be humbled. We shouldn't seek after our own pride, but let God exalt us instead. I look at verse 11, it says, For all those who exalt themselves will be humbled, and those who humble themselves will be exalted. And uh, this doesn't mean that we can never sit in the place of honour. I think if you're at a wedding, make sure you sit in your allocated seat. Uh, It's not that we should try and be proud of how humble we are either, uh, but Jesus says that our attitude does matter. It does matter. And he shows us in Matthew 20, uh, verses 27 to 28, Jesus says, whoever wants to be great among you must first be your servant. And whoever wants to be first must first be your slave. Just as the Son of Man didn't come to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so Jesus is the greatest example of this upside-down kingdom of humility. You see, he gave himself up and died for us on that cross. Do we believe this? Do we truly believe that Jesus came to earth and that he died for you? Do you understand the humble and this incredible service that Christ gave for us all? You see, the Pharisees are all too proud about how good they can keep their own laws. They make sure of this by making laws to keep the laws to keep the laws. But Jesus was humble instead, and his kingdom is a humble kingdom. Uh, from verse 12, Jesus also shows us that his kingdom is a generous kingdom, a generous kingdom. And now in Jesus, in verse 12, he says, do not invite. Uh, the original language is kind of better interpreted as do not habitually invite. Uh, do not only invite. Do not always invite. Uh, Jesus isn't saying that we can never invite our friends or family or neighbours over, but, but he is saying in verse 13 that we do need to invite other people too. We do need to invite the poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. So, who are these people? Well, these people are quite significant in the Bible, as there were groups of people that were isolated and excluded uh, from entering the Jewish temple. Uh, They're people that could never really partake in the messianic banquet. Physically, these people are the poor, the needy, the sick and unclean, the socially outcast, the disabled people. Uh, So, in your mind, maybe you can picture today, it's the homeless, the drug addicts, the asylum seekers. Maybe even more silently, it could be those struggling with financial debt or with mental health issues. But maybe you don't feel you fit into those physical categories, but for thinking about these categories spiritually, well then maybe you do. I think I certainly do. Because as spiritually crippled, we are made powerless by sin. And as spiritually lame, we are unable to come to God on our own, we are all sinful. As spiritually poor. We have nothing to offer God for our own salvation. We are all in debt to God. And as spiritually blind, we are unable to see the truth of the gospel on our own. Uh, But even though on our own, uh, we're all inadequate to be in his kingdom, uh, Jesus says that in his upside-down kingdom, he is generous to all people. Uh, In verse 12, Jesus also says that we should not invite people that can repay us. We shouldn't expect to get anything back. We, we shouldn't even be expected to be invited back. Uh, Jesus' sense of economy is different here, isn't it? And he tells us that in his upside-down kingdom, the dividends lie in eternity. And verse 14, he calls this the resurrection of the righteous. You see, I think often we can have such a small and a narrow, short-term view of gifts and giving. Uh, but Christ tells us here to play the long game instead. Because he suffered, because he died on the cross for our sins, so that we can be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous, we are paid by His blood for eternity. You see, if someone returns a favour now, it's short term, temporary. But but in Christ's upside down kingdom, it's all about generosity. He's been totally generous on us, absolutely gracious on us. Uh, Isaiah fifty three five talks about this, and it says, He was pierced for our transgressions; He was crushed for our iniquities the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed and jesus is also highlighting how that we should maybe be generous with our meals too because the price is already paid for by christ and the return on investment is eternal and now in his master class so far jesus has explained to us what god's people are called to be like compassionate humble and generous And next we see who is in God's kingdom. You see, the Pharisees were trying to trap him. Jesus turned the tables back on them. It's getting to the point of the conversation that it's getting kind of a little bit hairy, you know. It's like how you get into an awkward conversation in a party or or a gospel community, Bible study, you know, where discussions are getting derailed, fully off track, and you need to try and draw the people back in. And I think this is what this man was thinking and feeling when he spoke out and he said, Blessed is the one who will eat and feast at the kingdom of God. You see, the conversation is getting awkward, but this man's attempt to improve conversation demonstrates a total lack of understanding. If I can paraphrase the man, he's kind of saying, aren't we all so blessed to be in God's eternal kingdom? You see, this man is boasting in his own inheritance after Jesus just told them to be humble and generous. He's totally missing the point. Not only does he have pride in his status, but it also shows that he totally rejects what Jesus is saying to him. And so Jesus rebukes this, And this is the climax of the Jesus Masterclass tonight. It's the parable of the great banquet. And this parable tells us who Jesus' upside-down kingdom is for. We see the first part talks about the excuses of the invited guests. And the second part talks about the needs of the uninvited guests. It all starts from verse 16, where Jesus replied, A certain man was preparing a great banquet and invited many guests. At the time of the banquet, he sent his servant to tell those who had been invited, Come, for everything is now ready. And I bet by this time, uh, the Pharisees would have told the guests, uh, uh, the Pharisees would have already thought that Jesus was kind of crazy. He must have been mad. Uh, He'd already told the guests, next time don't sit in your allocated seat. And then he tells the host, next time don't invite your friends and family. Invite the scum off the street instead on the Sabbath day. And then now, here in the parable, the story gets even more ludicrous. I mean, this story would have seemed, seemed completely ridiculous. It would have been totally inappropriate to make these excuses that all the guests had. And in verse 20, the last excuse is the most preposterous of all. You see, it's not even their own wedding day, but the excuse seems to be that my wife says that I can't come. Now, note to self, do not use the my wife excuse anymore. And given the status of women back in uh, Bible times, uh, this last excuse would sound the most outrageous of all. And no one in their right mind would make any of these excuses in the place of a great, amazing banquet feast. Uh, By the way, in Middle Eastern culture, Declining a great banquet like this is pretty much the same as declaring war on the host. It's a bit like the tensions between North Korea and the US at the moment. I mean, can you imagine if Trump tweeted something that he refused to meet with Kim Jong-un? But we often make similar excuses ourselves, don't we? Jesus sums up all the potential excuses that I make. Verse 18 and 20, these are all kind of life excuses, whether material or relational. You know, I'm too busy, I've got no time. I've got family commitments, work is just flat out, and last but not least, my wife says that I can't come. Not that I really use that last excuse too much. And note in verse 21, God also gets angry when we do not put him first and foremost, when we don't prioritize his kingdom above our own. You see, God's kingdom is described as this amazing banquet feast. We might not usually think of our current sufferings and hardships as a great banquet, but but here Christ says that those, those that accept his invitation are choosing eternal joy, eternal satisfaction, more than you could ever hope for, that only God can offer. It's an amazing feast. It's one that will astound all of our senses, bring us delight, ultimate delight and satisfaction. It's a million times better than an anniversary dinner date. It's where we will be God's people, And he will be with us, he will be our God, he will wipe every tear from our eyes. There will be no more death, no more mourning, no more crying or pain. We will never thirst again, because Christ makes all things new. It will be absolutely outstanding, it will be amazing! And that's why the excuses of this life seem so absurd and underwhelming in this parable. So who does God call instead? Well, in verse 21, we see God invites the Jewish outcasts, those that are in need. In verse 23, he's then inviting those excluded groups from outside the city walls, the Gentiles too. So so he's really inviting all people, isn't he? Everyone that you know. And Jesus is clearly stating that these particular Pharisees have declined Jesus' invitation. Look at verse 24. Jesus says, I tell you. Not one of those who are invited will get a taste of my banquet. So, even though his invitation is for everyone, for all people, ultimately, only those that accept his banquet, uh, accept his invitation, will be able to partake in his banquet. I notice that the parable is told in third person. And then in verse 24, the tense becomes kind of first and second person again. I tell you, I tell you, this is the punchline. Jesus is commanding the present Pharisees to make a choice. He's condemning those that do not accept his invitation. He rejects those that reject him. And so the question needs to be asked of us as well today, I think. Have we rejected God or do we need Christ? Do we need Christ? How much do we see ourselves as needy, poor, destitute, spiritually speaking, utterly in need of Christ today? Or is there something that you think makes you worthy, apart from Christ? I think I'm often reminded of my own spiritual failings, uh, my lack of fully trusting God and His Word, my lack of faithful prayer to Him, and my attempts to do things my own way at times. But are you fully accepting of your needs and of Christ's love for you? I note that this is a grace-only gospel, it's not our own works. It's nothing that we can bring to the table. It's, it's not our regular church attendance, not our hospitality, not even our giving. There is no Christ plus theology here. But do you realise how much we need to fully rely on Christ alone to save us, to be part of his banquet feast? Or are we, are we full of life excuses instead? And Revelation 3, verse 20, God says, here I am. I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in and eat with that person and he with me. You see, the only condition of Jesus is that you need to need him. You need to need him. You need to open the door to his invitation to come to his banquet feast. If you're not sure about what accepting Jesus' invitation means, well, then I'd invite you to chat to someone about it. Just to chat to someone who you trust, or a friend, or your GC leader, or chat to me after the service. Would love to share more with you. And so Christ explains here who His upside-down kingdom is for, and the answer is astounding, isn't it? It's not what the Pharisees assumed would attend, but it it's for those that need Him. It's those that seek out His invitation. And now this sermon is all about how Jesus uses meals uh, to demonstrate his kingdom. And I think we too can be using our meals each day to be sharing uh, the gospel, sharing God's word too. Uh, We all have hopefully about three meals a day, roughly 21 meals a week. Uh, Throw in a few suppers, you've got about 100 meals a month. Uh, So can can we spare some of these meals, even a few of these meals each month to openly express our hearts, and God's vision of his kingdom, his compassionate, humble, and generous kingdom. Uh, in fact, just as in the great banquet, uh, our meals too uh, can also be a foretaste of Jesus' eternal kingdom uh, to all those around us. Uh, does anyone remember our vision statement of Daravan Presbyterian Church, DPC's vision statement? Any takers here? Sorry, Aaron's not here. Sorry, did you get it wrong? Here it is. Here's our vision. DPC wants to see 10% of the city of Darabin deeply satisfied in knowing and serving Christ. And part of our purpose is that we want a a church that's convinced that deep satisfaction is only found through knowing and serving Christ. Hence, we exist to see as many people as possible, uh, to see them experience uh, this satisfaction too. And so maybe our, our mules can be doing some of this. 10%, 10%, that's 15,000 people. It's a mission. It's the local mission. And so we need to be inviting people and persistently going everywhere and compelling people to come. Uh, there's a TV series MasterChef on at the moment. Anyone watching MasterChef still? Joe Little, put up your hand. Thank you. Add MasterChef. Yep. Um, my family really loves MasterChef, um, especially my kids. Um, and, and so in MasterChef, they sell this idea of meals, don't they? And when they pay, portray food more than just this physical nourishment, our uh, food becomes life It reminds people of family and joy and friendship. It needs to be well presented and taste great. The flavours need to be balanced well and bring ultimate satisfaction to the three judges. And in a similar way, uh, there's lots of themes and notions that meals should bring uh, to us in a biblical way too. Uh, but we don't need to make our meals MasterChef-style meals. We're, we're not trying to become like a two-hat restaurant or or Michelin star rated, or something like that. I mean, we shouldn't fall into the trap of the Pharisees. Uh, but here's some questions that maybe might help us uh, think about our meals in a more mission-minded, a more, a more gospel-focused way. Here's some questions. Uh, do we fully grasp Christ's compassion, his humility, his generosity, uh, in his upside-down kingdom, in our own lives? And what barriers might you have uh, to show hospitality with your meals. Are uh, it pride, rules, routine or, or culture? I remember that the meals are a marker of being more like Christ. Remember, Jesus came eating and drinking, so are we following his example? Are we striving to be more hospitable and maybe doing what we wouldn't normally do? Uh, my favourite pastime is to not have anything on, not have anyone over. I just enjoy a simple family meal with no one else, and be able to just leave the house a total wreck, go to sleep early, after watching MasterChef, of course. But in Luke today, we see that the Gospel is all about God, isn't it? It's about God's grace, God's humility, and the Gospel is generous, even to those that don't know Jesus. Maybe we're too proud or too arrogant. Maybe we're too arrogant to open our lives and to show who we really are to others. Or maybe we value our own security, our own safety. Or maybe it's others' opinions of us. And we're downright scared that if we failed to put on a good show. You know, maybe our, our house isn't nice enough or the food that we cook won't be extravagant enough. You know, what's at stake here? Do we fear people more than we fear our God? I know I feel like that sometimes. And I think if you're anything like me, then you need to remember how Christ humbled himself for us. And he calls you to humble yourself now and to be repaid at the resurrection of the righteous. Uh, Tim Chester, in his book Meals with Jesus, uh, he says in in it, sometimes we enjoy the food despite the taste because of the love it is packaged in. Sometimes we enjoy the food despite the taste because of the love it is packaged in. Are we packaging our meals with God's love? How busy are we? And who are we connecting with in life? Life is busy, I know. I've got three kids, full-time work, and then there's all these church ministries. You know, I barely had time to write this sermon, let alone invite people to my house. I mean, I don't have time for relationships, right? But are our excuses just like those of the invited guests in the parable? You know, I need to buy a house. I'm too busy with work or family or church or life. I remember that Christ died for us on the cross. And if Christ saved me in his upside-down way, if he's gracious and compassionate, if He served me, then how much more do we need to help reach out to those around us, to be inviting others to this amazing feast too? Do we have a small, self-limited, a short-term view? Or do we have an eternal view of God's kingdom, of Christ's mission in mind? So who do we need to reach out to? Uh, Are there relatives? Are there friends, colleagues, classmates? Who can we invite over for a meal? Uh, We also see in our passage that the gospel crosses all demographics. Uh, There's a man with dropsy, the poor, sick, lame, the people from outside the town, from off the streets. So can we have meals with people who maybe are different from us? Uh, Who do we eat with? Uh, Meals let us share Christ's upside-down kingdom in a countercultural way to a world that's getting all the more busy, yet ever the more lonely too. Jesus says, do not always eat with just family or friends. Don't just keep meeting with your relatives in your church family. Are we getting to know those around us too? Who do we need to start inviting? Maybe to a lunch before church on a Sunday or, or to dinner during a weeknight instead? Can we invite someone from school or uni or work? Can we be inviting our neighbours or or people in our wider community too? Are we demonstrating Christ's love to those around us, to those that might not know us well, and to those that might not even know Christ well either? Uh, Maybe you need to invite someone that is EGR. EGR, extra grace required. You know who I'm talking about. It's those people that would make the meal awkward, uncomfortable. Uh, But if we know how much we need a saviour, that we need to be generous, don't we, and demonstrate Christ's generosity to all those around us. Our meals should open our lives to others. And are we sharing our life through meals with people that don't know Christ's invitation? Uh, My name is Ken, and someone at church calls me no friends Ken. No friends Ken, rightly so. I don't have many friends. In fact, I've tried to invite different colleagues over the past few years uh, but I think only one of them has really accepted this dinner offer. Um, but, you know, I'm blessed with a lovely home, a lovely wife who's great at cooking, and who's great at socialising with people, even though I'm very introverted and don't want to talk to anyone usually. So here's what we do, right? We team up. I team up. And so Sometimes I try and free up Jermaine, my wife, so that she can make friends and I'll look after the kids instead. That's an easy cop-out for me. Or sometimes we try and invite people over from church even though we've been usually totally exhausted from a busy week of life. Or better still, sometimes even better still, we get other people from church, and they invite their non-believing friends to our house so that we can kind of connect our worlds of Christians and non-Christians to merge our worlds and to help show Christ's love to those around us. Even though I'm no friends, Ken, I think we need to team up. Uh, there was one such occasion earlier this year uh, that some someone from church, a church friend of ours, had some friends. Uh, some of her friends, they lived in our neighbourhood, in our local area, so it made sense to kind of come to our house. And so, and one of the two of these friends are also getting to slowly know Jermaine better too. Uh, so we hosted like a surprise birthday party for one of the friends. It, it was a bring a plate to share occasion uh, and a lot of her other friends came as well. Uh, It was a bit of an awkward idea, you know, inviting 15 people to our house. Most of them were kind of strangers to us. And it was a weeknight too, so we didn't really have time to cook a feast for so many people. So we just made people just bring their own food along. And I think although hesitant at first, it was actually a great night in the end. It was great to get to know more people. Great to get to know more people that God invites from outside the city and from the country lanes. You see, it might seem easier. I just to have this nice, clo- cozy, close knit Christian community that we have here. But in here in Luke 14, Jesus commands us to compel them to come. Compel all people to his feast. Don't give up. Compel them. Keep trying. So, can we use our meals for mission? Can we use our meals to demonstrate Christ's banquet feast to others? I think it requires us to sacrifice. It requires us to sacrifice our time, talents and treasure. And and you might be a person with lots of time, more time but less treasure. Or maybe you've got master chef style talent, uh, but no amazing master chef kitchen to cook it in. Or maybe you've got money in a house and a large dining table, uh, but not much time to cook. Or, or maybe you're like me, you're no friends can. Uh, we can all work together, I think, as a church as a church community to merge our friends, merge our worlds, merge our time, talents and treasures. And if you don't know where to start with that, well, well maybe we need to just start knowing each other a bit better first. Maybe even uh, after church tonight, you can invite someone for dinner. Or maybe on the 12th of August, you can sign up for the meals that we're having throughout church. Uh, in summary, in conclusion... Jesus has told us what his upside-down kingdom is on about. It's upside-down kingdom, but in hindsight, it's really the um, right way up kingdom, isn't it? Uh, we've got this upside-down view of God's eternal world, and Christ really puts it the right side up for us. And it's all about compassion, compassion for those around us, those who are in need of Jesus, those who have nothing to offer in return, or those who maybe don't even know Jesus. And it's humble, just as Christ is humble. And it's generous, just as Christ gave freely and generously of himself on the cross. And Jesus also tells us who is in his upside-down kingdom. And who's not in it, too. I mean, the Pharisees can boast in their own law-abiding behavior, their own ways that they think earns their way to eternity. But in reality, they're spiritually blinded to Jesus. And Christ rebukes them. He says that they're full of excuses. He says that those who do not need Christ will not be part of his banquet feast. And you see, Jesus leaves the story hanging here. He turns the tables back on the Pharisees and the next step is theirs. What's their response going to be? Will they accept Jesus and his upside-down kingdom? More importantly, what's our response to Jesus today? Do you need Jesus? I hope and pray um, that you do. And if so, will you use some of your meals for Jesus today? Because our meals must demonstrate this eternal hope of this great eternal banquet feast forever with God. Let me pray for this. Let's pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, for his work on the cross for us. We thank you that he so freely invites us all, everyone, all people, to his great banquet feast. Lord, may you help us to live out our lives aligned with your upside-down kingdom, to be compassionate on the lost, to be humble in our service, and to be overly generous to provide for those in need. And Lord, may you challenge us Uh, even in our meals and in our hospitality, uh, with these different principles in mind, uh, to show you and your love to those around us too. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.